The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this moment to have together and to have with you. Lord, now as we open your word, we need your understanding. We need you to speak clearly, so Lord, please do. Lord, use the, the words that I would speak this morning. Um, may they be your words. And Lord, if there's anything that I would say or plan to say that would be distracting and, and not be from you, Lord, may, that, may you not allow it. Um, so Lord, you be perfectly in control of this moment. It is all yours. We want to hear from you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you this week. We've been in this series, Love Is, all right? Love Is. This is week five of our series together, Love Is. And we started talking about the two greatest commandments according to Jesus or what? Love God and love people. So there's really nothing more worthy of our time to talk about than love. And you know, love, one of the things we talked about that first week is that love is a choice. It's not a feeling like a lot of love songs would have us believe. It is a choice that we make. I just got back Friday. My family and I, we were in Disney World uh, with my, my in-laws and, and a bunch of different people. And we had a wonderful time. And I'll tell you what. My feelings lined up with love a lot on day one. It was easy to love everybody. You just get there, you go into the Magic Kingdom, you see Cinderella's castle and everybody's excited and whatever. On that last day where the kids haven't had a nap all week, right? And you're, you've got sunburns in weird places where you didn't think you needed to put sunscreen. My feelings didn't line up with love. But did that, did that let me off the hook? Absolutely not. Love is a choice that we make. And we see that in this 1 Corinthians 13 that we've been going through. We see that every descriptor of love is a choice. None of those are feelings. They're choices. And so the first one we talked about, love is patient. And we define that in this way. Love puts up with a lot for a long time with restraint. Love puts up with a lot for a long time with restraint. If we're going to be loving towards people, then we need to put up with a lot for a long time with restraint. And then we take the next step of love and we go from patience to what? To kindness. Love is kind. We define it this way. Kindness is acting for the benefit of others regardless of their worthiness or response. So okay, you've restrained yourself from acting the way you want to act. You've restrained yourself from, from being rude to them or whatever. Now taking the next step of love is to step out and to act for the benefit of others no matter if you think they're worthy of it, no matter what their response may be. And the next eight things we see here, they're all knots. Love does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable, not resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing. So these should be things that are never descriptors people use when talking about God's people. May these things never be said of you when people talk about you. May they never say, oh yeah, he's rude. Oh yeah, he's irritable. Oh this guy, yeah, he, he's very inconsiderate or, or he's really headstrong and pushy. May those things never be said about us. And so I, I think as we look at these, you might say, I'm familiar with irritability. I'm familiar with rudeness. I'm familiar with envy. And that might be true. However, I, I think that the Lord is going to give us some insight as we look into these things more. Because although we might be familiar with this hatred, we might be familiar with, uh, with these words even, uh, maybe they're a little bit more subtle than we believe. So may the Lord give us some insight and understanding today. Let's, let's look there in verse 4. Love does not envy. 
The Greek word used for envy here can be translated to be jealous, rival, or the word envy. And we use the word envy with another word a lot, and almost interchangeably. Anybody know that other word? Jealousy, right? Don't we use those words interchangeably? And I think sometimes we use the word jealousy for everything. And I think maybe we should be saying envy. Like, for example, maybe you remember you were in school or something, and you had a crush, and someone else was talking to your crush, and they made your crush laugh or whatever. How did you feel in that moment? You describe it as jealousy or maybe a murderous rage, but maybe what you should have been saying was envy. Or if we were to go right now, all of us were to get into our cars, we're gonna go up to to a local gym. Notice I don't know the names of any of them. If we were gonna go up to a local gym and people were going to watch me bench press 45 pounds uh, and they watched me, you might say everyone's jealous of Grant's raw power and you would be almost right. I would think, I would say, you'd say they're envious of Grant's raw power. Did you go, no one sounded I said 45 pounds. You get that, right? All the way up and down. All right, anyway, we'll get back to that. But let's parse out these words, envy and jealousy, because I I think the Lord will give us um, something really wonderful here if we look more at envy. Envy is defined as a painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. Whereas jealousy is defined as a feeling that occurs when something we already possess, usually a special relationship, is threatened by a third person. So jealousy can be a very good thing. That's a very proper response. For example, husbands, if your wife were to, to get a job somewhere and there was one of, her, one of her coworkers, some male coworker, was trying to steal her affection from you. Every time you went up there, you, you saw him trying to spend a lot of time around your wife. Maybe he was flirting with her. Maybe even he tried to text her late at night or whatever. How would you feel in that moment? Besides the murderous rage, how would you feel? You'd feel jealous, should you? Yes. You absolutely should, because that is not his relationship. That's your relationship with your wife. You've given yourselves to one another. Husbands and wives should be jealous, because they should fiercely protect their relationship from intruders. That's a proper response. The Bible says that our God is a jealous God. It says in Zechariah 8, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I'm jealous for her with great wrath. Look there in Exodus 34, you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. So jealousy isn't always a bad thing. He is jealous for our affection, for our devotion, and for our worship. Why is he jealous and why is that proper? Because it belongs to him. We belong to him. Our worship is misplaced anywhere if not on him. Our affection and devotion is misplaced if anywhere not on him. It belongs to him. Of course he should be jealous. Of course that should be his response. It's proper, it's right, it's good. And so I think when we use the word jealousy, maybe we should only use it to refer to to a proper response of something that we have, that we rightfully possess as being threatened. But envy, I would say, is the evil, ugly manifestation of jealousy. There's nothing redeemable about envy. Again, we looked at that really long definition of envy. The defined as a painful or resentful awareness of an advantage, blah, 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 blah. Let me define it really simply, and and hopefully this will help us understand it. I'm gonna define it this way, wanting what someone else has with resentment. Wanting what someone else has with resentment. Now let's break that down. Wanting what someone else has. What do people have that we might see and desire? That we might see and desire. Well, it could be possessions. 
Maybe like maybe it literally is money. Maybe someone makes a lot more money than you do. Maybe uh, maybe it's some sort of material possession. Maybe you like cars and silly things like that. And so other people, you see cars and you're like, oh, I want that truck. It's got four wheels and it's real high or whatever. I don't know anything about trucks. Anyway, like I, I like that or whatever. That's not me. But you know what? If there's some like latest gadget that comes out or something like Apple invents uh, the, the, the Apple uh, monocle or whatever and you get it before I do, I will absolutely desire that, okay? And I will conspire on how I can steal it and get away with it, because I'm a pastor. Probably people aren't gonna believe you if you tell them, my pastor stole from me. Yeah, right, get out of here. But anyway, like that's, that's my thing. If I see something like that, so there's all things that, that people have that yeah, you see it and you go, yeah, I, I'd like to have that. Or maybe it's power. You know, maybe, maybe at work, there's a position somebody has that you wish you had. Maybe it was a supervisor. Maybe someone has more authority than you do. And so you see that and you desire it. You say, you know what, I've, I've worked hard and, and I think I could do so many good things if I just had that ability. So you see it and you desire it. Maybe it's a gifting or a talent. You know, something, maybe there's something that, that you struggle, you want to be so good at, but they just have like a natural ability. You know, anybody in here wish you could sing? And, and, you, and you, you get in your car and you sing your heart out and you just, you know, like you, you think you just, you would move people to tears if they could just hear how you hear in your head, you know, how you sound in your head. Like if you could just sing like that and then like people actually hear you and they are moved to tears and then they move away from you for like a long time. But like you see their talents, you see their giftings, you go, man, I just wish, I just wish I could do that. We were, we were walking somewhere this, this past week and there's somebody playing guitar and, and if you if you know me you know I attempt to play guitar and this guy was playing guitar and and it made me want to go sell mine because I didn't deserve to touch another one after I saw how good he was at it and I, I saw his talent and I said I just I just wish I could do that I wish I could play like that maybe it's an advantage that somebody has maybe someone was born into a, into a position born into a family that then they had all these advantages you didn't have maybe someone just someone blessed them Someone just got blessed by somebody and it was just a wonderful advantage they had. Or maybe for whatever reason, there's just preferential treatment, you know? We were, um, we were flying back uh, from, from Florida and, and, it's, and everybody's tired and, and, and the kids are just, you know, they're just, it's, it's a bad scene. So we're, we're getting on the plane or whatever and, um, and you can't help but see like the first class, the business class or whatever with the, the bigger seats and, and all this other stuff. You can't help but look at that and just go, if I would pay so much money if there was a way I could check my children like my luggage and I could just go sit there and have that treatment of like, just would you like a towel? Yes, I just, actually I just want a hug. Can I get a hug if I could just have that and you see that advantage and you want it, or maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe there's a job out there that you dream of having, that you wanna have, or, or success that you want, or maybe it's just different opportunities you don't have. Like, for example, my, uh, my in-laws, my brother-in-law's in the Navy, and he just changed to um, an intelligence branch, group, office, something. I don't know. Everything I know about the military is, is from video games. So we haven't really gotten into that part. But anyway, he's switching. And so all I understand is that he's no longer going to have to go be out on a boat for a long time. He's going to be home. And so there are three different places they're going to have to move. 
And I was like, oh man, and he was kind of talking, he wasn't complaining, but he was just saying, you know, just the difficulty of not knowing where you're going to be, you know, and, and just thinking right now they're in Virginia and he's just, you know, I, we kind of got our home here and we're just going to have, we're going to find a new church and, and all this other stuff and just, you know, just some stuff. And I'm like, oh man, it's got to be difficult. So where are they sending you? Like Boise, Ohio, uh, Idaho, or like where, are you, like, where are you going? And he's like, oh, well, um, either Washington, D.C., the Florida Keys, or Hawaii. And I was like, oh, that's a tough life, man. That's really difficult. I, I hate that. I'm really going to pray really hard for you. That's really, uh, that's really difficult. And so you see an opportunity like that. You can't help but go, Lord, their church is in Hawaii. You know what I mean? Like, they, like people need to preach in Hawaii, right? Like, you know my phone number, right? And you see these opportunities, and you, you can't help but want them. Is there anything wrong with wanting these things? No, I don't think so. Like, it's natural to see God's blessing and desire it. Isn't that a natural thing? Like our dad is giving good gifts to people. They're good gifts. They're from our dad. Like, yeah, that's a great opportunity. That's awesome. Yeah, I would like to have that. When does it become envy? When does it become a problem? I think when two things happen. One, when we see the opportunity, but we keep looking and make their blessings about us. We keep looking at their blessings and make them about us. Now, let me take you back through these things. Like possessions, when instead of looking at their possessions and you go, wow, oh, that's cool, you start to have these thoughts. I need that. Like, no, 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 I, I need that. You know, whatever that, that, uh, that new brain implant Apple just invented, I need that, okay? And your mind is focused on that. Or maybe it's power. And your thought is, I should have that. And you start to think about that supervisor you have and how underqualified they are and how overqualified you are. I should have that position. I could do so much or the gifting or the talent. And you, instead of just enjoying the gifting or the talent the Lord's given someone else, I want that. I don't have that. And being bitter about it. Or an advantage. That's not fair. That's not fair that they have that advantage. I should have that. Why them? Why not me? Or opportunities. If only I had that success, what could I do? If only I had that opportunity, what could I do? And envy is more than just continuing to focus on their blessings and making them about us, but it's taking that next step to also choose resentment, to be resentful about them. And what is resentment? It's defined as a feeling of indignant displeasure or persistent ill will at something regarded as wrong, as a wrong insult or injury. So I'm choosing to embrace bitterness and anger than, than I, because I don't have this thing and I'm gonna act that way. I'm gonna be bitter, I'm gonna be upset about it. So I choose to have this persistent ill will, that's what resentment is, that persistent ill will towards this person or the situation or towards other people or even God because I don't have this thing. I'm not getting what I want. And where does this resentment and this bitterness lead us to? Terrible evil towards one another. James 4, one through two says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So what do we see there? What are the things, where does envy lead us? Leads us to fighting, quarreling, and it says even murder. Even the, the, the biggest thing, the darkest part of evil you can think of, that's where it leads us to. We see how hateful envy is, don't we? We see what it's causing us to do. And haven't you been there? You've been envious of someone else's advantage or opportunity, and it leads you to what? To be rude to them, 
to be rude uh, to them when interacting in that situation or you're envious of a position or authority that someone else has and so how do you respond? You, you slander them, you talk bad about them behind their back and, and, and talk good about yourself, right? Envy's so hateful, it leads us to, to such hatred towards one another. Envy's hateful, it breaks the two greatest commandments. What are they again? Love God, love people. Envy's hateful towards God and it's hateful towards people. Let me show you how. It's hateful towards God because it's faithless. At the core of envy is unbelief. At the core of envy is not trusting what God says is true. Because what? You believe that you don't have what you need. When you're envious of something else, I need that you believe that you don't have what you need. But that denies the truth about our good father. What does he say in Matthew 6? Don't worry then saying, what will I eat or what will I drink or what what will I wear for clothing? Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When we're envious and we're focusing on the blessings of somebody else and saying, I need that in my life, that is missing from my life, we are saying to God, you are not the good father you say you are. I do not believe your word. Your word says that you know my needs and you will meet them. You are not doing that right now. You're denying what he says about himself. You believe that things are out of control and you need to do something about it. But that denies the truth of Hebrews 2.8. It says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, that's Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. Our God is completely in control of circumstances. So when we're sitting there focusing on, this is not what I want. This person over here, they get to do this. Their family looks like this. They have this opportunity. Where, what's going on over here? You're denying that our God is perfectly in control of your life. You're denying that our God is perfectly orchestrating the, the, the different things in your life to work for your good. You're denying that truth about God. And when you, when you are envying, you believe that no one's looking out for what's best for you. Because that's what's best for you and you don't have it. So no one's looking out what's best for you. And that denies the truth about our good shepherd. John 10, listen to these words. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Our God is orchestrating an abundant life for us. Like, and if you don't believe me, you say, well, okay, so he's saying he's come to give me life and life to the fullest. He believes that he's giving you the most abundant life so much so that he was willing to die for it. He said, no, 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 this is good. This is the best it's gonna be for them. I'll give my life for them to give them that. And when we look at, when we're envious and we're looking at other opportunities and we're being bitter about it, we're just, that, what we're saying is that, you know what? I don't believe anybody's looking at what's best for me because what's best for me is out there. No one's taking care of me. No one's giving me the life that I need, that I want. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I, I'm, I'm giving you abundant life. I'm giving you life to the fullest And so our God is orchestrating an abundant life for us. And so when we choose envy, it's hateful towards God because it's a lack of faith. There's no faith in envy. Envy's all about you. Envy's all about you doing what you need and getting what you want. And there's no trust there. You don't have to trust that God's in control. You don't have to trust that he's working all things together for your good. You don't have to trust him because you're gonna sit there and you're gonna focus on what you want and what you can do to get it. 
So envy is hateful to God. And that to be envious and bitter and resentful, it is hateful to God, but it's also hateful to others. It's hateful to others because it's selfish. Their promotion, that blessing God gave them, it becomes about you. Like their advantage, whatever it is that God gave them, now it's about you and what you don't have. It's selfish. You make their blessing about you. But it's also hateful because it leads us to hurting others. Why? Because if God isn't going to take care of this, then we have to. If God isn't going to defend me, then I have to defend myself. If God won't bring justice, then I'll do it. If God isn't going to give me what I need, then I'll go take it. It leads us to hurt one another. And surprisingly enough, it's hateful towards yourself. Everybody gets hurt with envy. Check out the scripture in Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Rots the bones. Envy will never stop. It's insatiable. It's not like you envy something and you want this opportunity, you get that opportunity, and you're like, all right, I'm done with envy. It got me exactly what I wanted. It's all good now. Envy is insatiable. The scripture I want us to look at today is in Genesis 29. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis 29. I would tell you to check the table of contents if you need to. It's the first book, so uh, just like open it, like open the front, and there you'll get right there. Genesis chapter 29. We're going to look at this guy, Jacob, and his wives, Leah and Rachel, and see what envy does to their relationships and did to them. In Genesis 29, we're going to start to see Jacob is sent away to his uncle Laban's property to find a wife and also get away from his brother Esau. Um, basically, Jacob stole his, his older brother Esau's blessing, if you will. Um, and so now Esau is, his, Jacob's mom comes to him and says, hey, your brother's kind of upset. Uh, the only thing that gives him comfort right now is he's plotting to kill you. So you should go. And Jacob goes, yeah, it's about my time. So he moves on to go to his uncle Laban's house, and he's gonna, he, hopefully he's going to find a wife there. And we'll forget that they're cousins. We'll just move on from that. But anyway, he reaches a place where his mother's family lives, and his cousin Rachel is the first person he met. Now, Rachel ultimately is the one he falls in love with. Rachel's beautiful. Ultimately, that's who he desires. So he sees her for the first time, okay? And so, so he runs into Rachel. Now listen, I met my wife in high school. Um, so we, I guess, technically high school sweethearts. But I recognize that after I've talked to my wife much about how we first met and our first impressions, we had a class together for a while before we ever spoke to each other. Um, and so I asked her, what was your first impression of me? It was not good. I did not make the best impression. Uh, so she just said that, she said, you were always interrupting the teacher to make jokes that you thought were so funny. Um, and she said, it was, I thought it was so disrespectful. And I was just, I, I just couldn't believe it. I just thought you were a jerk. And I was like, but I was a cute jerk though, right? Right? And she was like, meh. So anyway, like, I didn't make the best first impression on my wife, but I gotta believe I made a better first impression than Jacob. Look at what he does. Verse 11, here we go. Genesis 29, verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, good move, and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinman and that he was Rebecca's son, and she ran and told her father. Okay, so... So here comes this dude, like, oh, Rachel, kissed her, and then, oh, Rachel, and just starts, like, pouring his heart out, like, what a manly man. You finally got one, Rachel. Good job. But he's warmly welcomed into Uncle Laban's home, um, and he begins to work for him and tending his flocks, and Laban says, look, we're family. You can't be a slave. Like, you can't work for free, so what do you want? And so he says, Rachel's I. I would like to marry her. 
And so Laban goes, cool, work for me for seven years, and you can have Rachel as a wife. So great, so he does that. Well, after seven years of work, Laban tricks him into marrying his other daughter, um, Leah. And uh, Jacob didn't want to marry Leah, and so he ends up marrying Leah. He's, he's tricked into marrying Leah. Um, and so he then goes back to Laban, and he says, look, I wanted Rachel. And so Laban goes, cool, seven more years. Keep Leah, then seven more years, you get Rachel too. And so he agrees. And the biblical account concludes there. Look at verse 30. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. So he marries both of them, and this is the start of envy. So Jacob ends up doing seven more years. So in total, he did 14 years of labor for Rachel, when in, in reality, he was doing seven years of labor for Leah, someone he didn't want, honestly. And so this was not exactly the greatest start to a marriage, especially a marriage with three people involved. Already a bad start for a marriage, but there was physical differences between Leah and Rachel. The scriptures say Leah was, she was older. She had gentle eyes. Apparently she was not as attractive as Rachel. Rachel was younger um, and, and was beautiful. And the scripture simply states the truth there, the sad truth. What does it say? Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Can you imagine how difficult it was for Leah to see Jacob's passionate love for Rachel and never have that? Never have that her way? This was living in daily pain. She must have experienced envy. Envy for the way that her sister uh, looked. Envy for the relationship her sister had uh, with Jacob. But God blessed Leah. Look in uh, Genesis 29. Look at there in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. When Rachel, look at verse, uh, chapter 30, verse one. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God? Who has kept you from having children? Rachel had what Leah wanted, Jacob's love. But now Leah had what Rachel wanted, a child. And when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. Why would that be an issue? Because it was great disgrace for a wife to not give her husband a child. Um, and Jacob, what did Jacob do? Jacob put the blame on God, exactly where it belonged. I'm not the one who's keeping you from having a child. Like, God is. So the rivalry between the two increased, and they began to um, do things to, uh, to, to one-up one another. And basically, they just wanted to keep having children. Well, Rachel was unable to have children, so they did something that was pretty common. They gave their maidservants to their husbands. So Jacob would impregnate their maidservants. And then what the, the wives would do is, it says they would literally catch them on their knee, all right? So they would, they would help in the birth. And then as soon as the baby came out, it was theirs. Like they were the first one to grab the baby and so they claimed it as their own and Rachel did it first. Rachel said, okay, if I can't have a kid, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go have one this way. I'm gonna have a maidservant have this child for me and so that's exactly what she does. And so she brings this child to, to Jacob, check it out, check it out, Leah, I got one of my own and Leah goes, fine, I'll do the same thing. She does the same thing with the maidservant. Both of them were in a battle to the bitter end and check out, uh, check out Rachel's statement after the second child. Uh, she got there. Genesis 30, look at verse 7. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. So what's happening to their relationship? Envy is destroying it. It's destroying her. She has a child. Now yeah, in a weird way or whatever, but she has another child. And what does she say? 
I have wrestled with my sister and I've won. Anybody, any women out there, you've had a child and that's the first thing out of your mouth? Like, did you immediately FaceTime your sister? Nanana boo boo, check it out. I got another one, right? Like, no, that is crazy. That is messed up. How hateful is that? But that's what's going on with them. And then this happened. Look at verse thir- chapter 30, verse 14. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight and return for your son's mandrakes. So apparently, Rachel was using her power over Jacob to manipulate and to control his sex life and to deny Leah the opportunity to sleep with her own husband. And so what Rachel did was basically traded out her control over her husband for the night for these mandrake roots that apparently she's going to hope are going to make her fertile at some point. But God continued to only give children to Leah. So she had six sons and one daughter of her own before Rachel had her first son. And look in chapter 30, verse 22, Rachel finally has her first son. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son, said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Nothing was ever enough for her, for Rachel. Instead of thanking God for this son, just celebrating, what's the first thing she says? Give me another one. Give me another one, right? And you know like how crazy that is. If you, if you have multiple children, women, you've given birth, you know how crazy that is. Were you laying there after giving birth? God, give me another one. Let's do this again, right? So she's saying that. And that's envy. It's insatiable. And then this happened. Jacob is about to meet Esau. Remember his brother who wanted him dead? They're about to meet, and Esau's powerful, and he's got an army with him, and they're about to meet. So check out how Jacob arranges his family in order of his preference. Look in Genesis 33. You can flip over there. Genesis 33, look at verse 1. Jacob looked up, and, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah, her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. How do you think Leah felt? Well, what's he doing? The maidservants up here, if Esau's mad and wants to kill somebody immediately, he'll get the maidservants and those kids first. If he makes it through that, well, then he'll get Leah, but at least Rachel and Joseph will be safe. How do you think Leah feels? It's like no matter what she does, no matter how many children she has, Jacob will never love her as much as he loves Rachel. Meanwhile, Rachel could have been gracious and generous to her sister, but we don't see a single act of kindness that she showed her. And finally, Rachel becomes pregnant with her second son, but this one will cost her her life. Genesis 35, verse 17. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't be afraid, for you have another son. As she breathed her last, she was dying. She named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. So Jacob's favorite wife, you know where she was buried? By the wayside. They were traveling by the wayside. Leah was eventually buried by Jacob's side in a cave with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah. And what happened in this family because of envy? Was this harmless? Was this just sibling rivalry? What happened? It destroyed them. It destroyed these two women. It destroyed their relationships with one another. It destroyed their relationships with their own husband. It destroyed their relationships with the rest of the family. It destroyed them. 
Now, it's obvious that envy is easy to feel. We have natural desires for things that other people have. It's easy to feel envy, but we also have to recognize that it's incredibly destructive. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Real quickly, one, be honest. Be honest about your envy and confess it and ask for the Lord's help. When you're struggling with envy towards somebody's advantage or towards your boss or someone else's success or whatever it is, go to God. Be honest with God about that. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? To cleanse us from all wickedness. He is working that weakness out in us. He wants to help. Go to him. There's this preacher you might have heard before, heard of before, Andrew um, Bonar. He penned a diary entry. Um, he wrote this. This day, 20 years ago, I preached for the first time as an ordained minister. It's amazing that the Lord has spared me and used me at all. I have no reason to wonder that he used others far more than he does me. Yet, envy is my hurt. And today, I've been seeking grace to rejoice exceedingly over the usefulness of others, even where it casts me into the shade. Lord, take away this envy from me. This is a godly, godly man. And he says, even to this day, I'm envious of other people's success in the ministry. Although we're on the same team, although it's not about us and it's about him, I still feel envy. And what did he do? Lord, take that away from me. Help me exceedingly rejoice in the success of others. Help me. He went to the Lord. You know, a couple nights ago, I was putting my kids to bed. And maybe your kids' bedrooms look like my kids' bedrooms. It just looks like if you were able to pick it up and just shake it and then set it down, that's kind of what their room looks like. And uh, they have this giant bear. Uh, I think my grandmother got them at one point. It's literally like this tall. It's crazy. It's this giant bear or whatever. But they love it. They love throwing it in the floor and jumping on it and wrestling with it. So Max throws it in the floor and he jumps. And he jumps and he just like lay, you know, tries to land face first on this thing. Well, there was a stool that was underneath the bear that was upright, so the, so the legs were sticking straight up, and I just see him jump, and then I just hear this, doom, and his head just stops, and like I move the bear, and there it is, like there's this stool right there, and he hops up real quick. Now, I had told him, do not jump on that bear again. And he did. So his first thought was not, I broke my brain. His first thought was, I'm in trouble. So he jumped up real quick and just grabbed his head. And I went, are you okay? He goes, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and I was like, son, does your head hurt? He goes, ah, ah, no, 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 no. And I said, son, I, I can't help you unless you let me. I need to see it. Just show it to me. And he goes, oh, I'm okay. Oh, I'm okay, dad, I'm okay. And I said, but does your head, son, does your head hurt? And he goes, no, 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 no. And I said, son, I want to help you, but I can't unless you let me see it. And then he moves his hand. Just a perfect indentation of that, that stool right there, like just right there on his forehead. And I think it's the same way like with our envy. We can deny it all day. We can pretend like we don't feel it because how wrong is that? Doesn't it feel gross? When you recognize envy, don't you feel gross? I hate that I look at other pastors and I'm envious of their success. I hate that. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. That's gross, but it's there. But the Lord can't help us unless we let him. Let's be honest about our envy. The next time you feel that, just be honest with the Lord. Lord, I'm envious in this moment, and it's ugly, and I don't want it. Help me. Help me. He will. The second thing is be happy. Be happy for others. Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When others experience a blessing of God, some sort of advantage, some sort of success, whatever it is, 
Do you rejoice with them? Do you rejoice with them? Have you ever shared good news with somebody, something you're really excited about, and they didn't get excited with you? How'd that make you feel? Did you feel loved? No, you felt like they let the air out of your balloon, right? You felt deflated. You know, so we have four kids, almost all on purpose. And uh, on our last pregnancy, the third pregnancy, which is baby number four, as we shared that news with people, we were excited. We got mixed reviews, right? I think some people even gave us their condolences. But as like we made that, you know, there were some people who matched our excitement. They rejoiced with us. And what did that communicate to me? I felt really loved. I felt really loved that they would care enough to rejoice with me, right? And so do your feelings always line up with celebration? No, no, they don't. But you know what? That's irrelevant. Love isn't a feeling. Love is a choice. You can choose when you get good news from somebody, when someone's rejoicing, you can choose to act bitter and sit there and go, and just be Eeyore or whatever you want to do. Or you can choose to be Tigger. I just got back from Disney World. You can choose to be happy and to rejoice with them. You can choose to, to smile and to congratulate them and to thank God for his grace. So love doesn't, so, so we've got our definition of love. We've got the negative, which is what? That we don't want what others have with bitterness. But what's the positive definition of love? Love is happy for others. Love is happy for others. F.B. Meyer, another preacher, he had meetings in Massachusetts and large crowds came to hear him. But then this great Bible uh, teacher from Britain came over, G. Campbell Morgan. He came to Northfield and people were soon flocking to hear him preach the scriptures. And they weren't hearing, they weren't coming to hear Meyer as much. And Meyer confessed at first he was envious. And he said, the only way I can conquer my feelings is to pray for Morgan daily, which I do. What is he saying? I have these feelings where I'm envious. The only way I can overcome it is if I celebrate his success and I go to the Lord for him. So I, I can celebrate with him. So be happy for others. Do you do that? Do you rejoice with others? When the Lord gives them an advantage, regardless of how you feel, do you rejoice with them? And do you honor them? So be happy for others. Also be happy for yourself. Or another way of saying that, I guess, is be content. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't let envy leave you anxious. You know when that thought hits, when you're envious, somebody else gets an advantage or whatever, and you have that, oh, what about me? You know, and that anxiety starts to hit. Do what Philippians 4, 6 says. Ask him for what you need. Trust him that he'll give you what you need. Everything you need to live. You know your father. You know he knows what you need. You know he knows. You know that he'll provide. And everything you need to live this Christian life, you know he's given it to you. You know that and thank him. You know, on Tuesday nights, we, we do a, a, a group of us get in here and we pray on Tuesday nights at six. You can come join us this Tuesday. But as we get together and pray, we spend time before we start getting to the things we want to ask for. We start with Thanksgiving. And that always, always changes what I think I need. Because I recognize how much the Lord has blessed me. And I recognize how much he's given me. And so one way of rejecting envy is being happy with what you have. And that comes from being thankful. You've heard me say before, look at the donut, not the hole, right? Look at what God has given you, not what you don't have. At your work, you don't have that position, but you have a job. At home, you don't have that financial blessing others have, but you live in America, the richest country on earth. You are rich, you are blessed. Reject envy by being thankful and happy about what God's given you. Be content. And the last thing, be generous. Of course we desire more stuff if that's where our hearts are. 
Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your desire will be where your treasure is. So don't let your stuff own you. Constantly be generous and constantly bless others. That's, gen- that's kindness. Constantly acting for the good of others regardless if they deserve it or not. That's kindness. So instead of being bitter about the advantages other people have or the blessings they have that you don't, focus on doing good for them. There's this crazy verse in Romans, chapter 12, verse 10. It says this, love one another with brotherly affection. Listen to this, outdo one another in showing honor. The next time we're tempted to focus on getting what others have or what they have and what we don't have, instead focus on how you're gonna bless them. The Lord's bless them. Lord, how can you use me to bless them even more? What a great response to envy that is. I have, uh, we have two dogs. I have a Great Dane and I have a Puggle. Uh, the Puggle is an abomination. He is, uh, he is a, a combination of a Pug and a Beagle. Um, he basically, have you ever dreamed of owning a potbelly pig? Well, then just go get a puggle. He's just this round little, and it's got appendages that I think are his legs. And uh, he like grunts and groans around our house. Well, he's really, really um, like strong-headed, let's say. So when he goes out in the backyard, when I'm ready to go to bed, and hey, it's time to come in, I can call his name all day. It does not matter. He would just sit there and look at me because he knows he weighs like a million pounds. He knows I'm not coming out there to pick him up, to carry him in. So he just sits there. So... I got a bag of chips one time, and I just shook it. And when I did, he was like, all right, I'm in. So he comes in for that, and so I'd give him a chip or whatever, and now I don't have to do that. Now all I have to do is crinkle plastic, you know, like make it sound like it, and he's like, maybe this time. And he comes in like every time. He's trained now to do that. Wouldn't it be great if we trained ourselves that every time we felt envy, just come up. Every time those thoughts of that's not fair or I should have that or that should be me or I need that, every time those thoughts hit us, we would be trained to respond with how, Lord, how can I bless that person? Wouldn't that be wonderful? If every time envy struck us, we would go, Lord, you bless them. How can I bless them too? Lord, how do you want to use me to bless them? How loving is that? What a loving choice that is. So love does not want what others have with resentment. Love is happy for others. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. And Lord, we know that as we um, follow you, the only reason we can sit here and talk about love, the only reason we can sit here and talk about how we can be loving towards other people is because of how much you love us. How much you love us. And Lord, I'm constantly reminded, constantly reminded of your grace and your mercy toward us. And so, Lord, if there are people in this room that they need to surrender to that love this morning, they need to follow you. Peter talked about what does belief mean? The demons believe. Do people out here really believe? Like, are there people out here who really need to believe? Because belief is action. Belief is, okay, God, I'm following you. Like, I'm gonna make you happy from this day forward. God, if there are people out there that need to follow you, there are people out there who really need to believe in you for the first time, Lord, may that happen in this moment. Would you call that, call them to yourself right now? May they right where they are, just ask your forgiveness. May they right where they are, trust what you've done on the cross for them, trust that you're alive, and because you're alive, they are alive. May they right now where they are say, God, I'm not living for me anymore, I'm living for you. I wanna follow you. Accept me. Make me your child. God, would you call people from death to life this morning? Call them to yourself. And for the believers in this room, those of us who already call you Father, would you help us love better? 
Lord, we are just these, it, it's crazy to me to think about how much you love us and that we are the object of that crazy love. God, help us live in such a way that we would show the world that crazy love. That, Lord, when the natural response for us would be to be envious and bitter and rude and resentful, and we would choose the opposite, we would choose to say, I'm going to bless this person, and I'm going to be happy for them, and I'm going to rejoice with them. Lord, help us love like that. Identify envy in us right now. Identify resentment in us right now that we're carrying around. And Lord, may we leave it here. May you take it away from us. So Lord, in this time as we sing, as we respond to you, may you be honored and you do what you want to do in this time. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen.